The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. All right, we're back and ready to go. If you have a Bible, you want to open up your Bible to the book of Colossians. It's towards the back of your Bible. Today we start this brand new series called What's Your Deal? And it's a series on the book of Colossians. This is by far my most favorite thing to do as a preacher of God's word is to go through an entire book of the Bible. And so I want to encourage you to turn there or you can look at it at your phone there. Book of Colossians, we're going to be in chapter one. You may be wondering why we're all dressed in Glad and you're not. Don't worry. Okay, we're not a cult. We love Jesus. This is a normal church. But today at 2.30 at Craven Farm in Snohomish, we're doing a huge party with our church. Uh, and it's called Plaid Party. And so that's why we're all dressed in plaid. Just a cool opportunity for us as a church family to connect and hang out. Uh, it's going to be at 2.30. A couple details for you on that. Uh, the church is covering the room and a free hayride for all the kids. So we're going to be doing that. There's going to be tons of fun food. And just a cool time for you to play with your family at the farm. And so again, we'd love for you to be a part of that. 2.30 to 5, Craven Farm in Snohomish. Great opportunity for you to meet some people and to connect with those um, in our church. As we jump into this series, I want to tell you that one of the things I love so much about something like this is the fact that we're going through a book of the Bible because I'm a firm believer and I have a huge passion for truth. As much as I, I, I'm excited and I love Jesus and I love having fun, I'm a huge proponent of knowing truth and knowing the scriptures. And so my encouragement to you today as we jump into this series, my encouragement today is read through the book of Colossians. Okay, it's only four chapters long. We're going to be on this series for the next five weeks. Only four chapters long. You can read it basically in about 20 minutes. I'm gonna encourage you to buy a notebook or a pen or use you know pages on your phone or notes on your phone, however you take notes. I'm gonna encourage you to read through Colossians two to three times a week for the next five weeks. Highlight things in your Bible, circle things that maybe you thought were confusing, uh, take a pencil, write in the margins. But I just wanna encourage you that it's so important when we come to a gathering like this church that you and I own a Bible, first of all, that you and I read that Bible often, especially when we're going through a series like a book of the Bible where you can kind of read ahead, follow along, kind of see where Paul's taking the letter and the reason why he wrote it. So I want to encourage you to own a Bible. I want to encourage you to read through it. I want to encourage you to take notes. The last thing I want to say to you is this, is that you and I, when we own a Bible personally, we have it in our possession it's a great opportunity for you to bring it to church because then you can flip through, looking at verses that I'm looking at, walk through. If you're new to Christianity or you're new to faith, you have an opportunity to find where the books of the Bible are and begin to get familiar with God's word. So I wanna encourage you to do that today. As we look to the book of Colossians, I wanna make this first point. The most important thing about you is what you think about Jesus Christ. The most important thing about you is what you think about Jesus Christ. How you view Jesus will determine how you live, what you believe, and whether or not you're gonna follow his commands. Obviously, it's important to have other ideas and thoughts in terms of scripture and belief, but the most important thing about you is what you think about Jesus Christ. What I'm gonna do today is I'm gonna go into a much more deeper uh, kind of theological style of preaching today, because I'm really going to try to lay the foundation of the book of Colossians. I'm going to talk to you in a bunch of different ways, and I'm going to answer all these questions about the book of Colossians. I'm going to answer these questions. Who wrote the letter, and who was Paul? 
Where was Paul when he wrote this letter? What is an apostle? What is the role of Timothy, Epaphras, and raising up leaders? Where was Colossae and what beliefs made Paul write this letter? Who was the pastor of the church? And why does this matter to us today? Okay, I'm gonna leave this slide up there for a minute. I gotta answer all these questions in this intro because you gotta appreciate the background and understanding of what was happening during Paul's day and why he wrote this letter to really understand and appreciate it today. And so if you love truth and you love scripture, you're gonna love this message because I'm chock full of notes for you to help you understand and think about this book. We're gonna pick it up in verse one, Colossians one. It says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And from our brother Timothy, we are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. That's all we're gonna cover today. Let me pray for God's word, and we're gonna jump into a ton of background. God, we thank you for your word, that it's alive in us, The Bible tells us, God, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the joints and marrows of our hearts. And so we thank you, God, today that your word is here, God, and speaking to us and is alive in us today. And so I pray, God, once again, would you speak through me, speak through your word. It's in your good name he said, amen. If you don't know a lot about the Bible, I want to break it down for you for a few minutes here. So the Bible is consisted of 66 books. Old Testament, New Testament, okay? Old Covenant before Christ came, New Covenant after Christ came and did his ministry. Colossians is just one of those books of the Bible, one of Paul's letters, okay? Of Paul's letters, he wrote a ton of them, okay? What happened was the Holy Spirit would inspire authors to write God's word, and that's where, that's where we get the word of God, okay? Different individuals inspired by God wrote on God's behalf, and this is how we get all 66 books of the Bible. Through a ton of church history and a ton of different canons and meetings, they decided that these 66 books are the authoritative word of God, meaning today in 2018, we don't add to the word of God. There's not 67 books. There's not another book that some other guy's writing that can therefore be added to this book. It's 66 books written by God's authors meant to encourage you and I today, okay? Now, before we meet Paul and his brilliance and how amazing he was, we first have to meet Saul, okay? Saul, same person as Paul, different name. We meet Saul in Acts 7 and 8, okay? Now, Saul is a persecutor of the early church. He's ravaging and persecuting Christians. He's murdering them, and he's killing them for sport, okay? One of the ways that we meet Saul before he becomes Paul is we see him at the stoning of Stephen. This is in the book of Acts, okay? Stephen, the first martyr of the church, brings this powerful message about Christ and what it means to live in the new covenant. And after he's done with this, he, the, the mob is so angry and so mad and so violent that they go to stone him, okay? One of the worst ways to be killed, stoned by rocks until you basically pass out and die, okay? He dies this suffering death, and we read that at his death, when he's basically stoned and done with, we read that his garments and his clothes are being held by Saul, the persecutor of the church. Okay, now you have to understand Saul. If you're a follower, this was not Saul. Saul was not the follower. Saul was like the kingpin. Okay, he was a violent man. He was an angry man. He was a religious zealot full of hypocrisy and rules and all sorts of issues. And he was the ringleader 
for these mobs, okay? He would be going to people's homes, dragging them out of their homes and wanting to kill them for their faith in Jesus Christ, okay? And he was not the person that was a part of the crowd. He was the leader of the crowd. He was the bully of the crowd. He was wreaking havoc on the church. And at that time, back then, the church wasn't called Christianity. The church was called the way, the way represented people who believed in the name of Christ and began to have churches in their homes. And what happens is Saul would go into their homes, would go into the crowds and do whatever he could to persecute the early church. In Acts 9, we, we get a window into how vicious and mean and violent Saul was. Meanwhile, this is Acts 9.1, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the rest of any of the followers of the way. Again, Christianity is called today Christianity. Back then, first century was called the way, the beginning of Christianity. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for the cooperation and the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Okay? So he's murdering Christ followers. He's wreaking havoc on people who believe in Christ. He's the ringleader. He's a violent religious Pharisee leading people down paths where they could destroy any person they could that claimed or wanted to know Jesus. In Acts 9, as he's approaching Damascus on his mission to continue to kill more Christians, a light from heaven suddenly shuns down around him. He falls to the ground. And in your Bible, if you're reading this in Acts, if you ever see it, you'll see it's in red. Jesus appears to him. The risen Savior appears to him and says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Basically, so, so, Jesus is saying to Saul, why are you persecuting my people, my church, people of the way. It's through this radical encounter with Jesus that Saul becomes an entirely different person and is converted to the way, what is now known as Christianity. Now let me just pause and make a couple points practically about where we're at so far. The crazy story of Saul becoming Paul and converting to the way is an encouragement to you and I of this very point, that Jesus has the power to reach any person at any time in any place. Jesus has the power to reach any person at any time in any place. If Saul, the murderer, the ringleader, the guy that was persecuting and destroying the church, the guy that was wreaking havoc on people of the way, if Saul, who is the ringleader, the kingpin, was doing everything he could to murder people of the way, and then he has a revelation of Jesus on a road to Damascus, and he then becomes Paul, and he begins to do good for Christ and begin to preach and teach and share the message of Christ. If Christ can reach someone like Saul, he can reach any person at any time in any place. See, it's an encouragement for you and I today because you and I are sitting here and we've been praying for years and years of people, maybe in our family, people that we work with, people that we have relationship with, 
maybe our own kids, maybe our grandkids, maybe our, our, our distant relative, and maybe at Christmas or holidays, you know, you've tried to talk to them about Christ, you've tried to tell them about your faith, you know, and they, maybe they've shunned you or they've disowned you or, you know, they've called you a crock and they can't believe that you're a religious folk. What's so encouraging for you and I, and maybe the reason why you're here today, the encouragement is this, don't you dare give up on them. Don't you dare give up on praying those prayers. Don't you dare give up on believing that Christ has the power and the means through his Holy Spirit to reach any person, to grab a hold of any heart, to to change anyone's life. And here's what it is. It's you and I recognizing that they're never too far lost, isn't it? It's you and I recognizing that no one is too far gone from the mercy and the grace and the kindness of Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? I'm going to help you out a little bit in our church here because I preach better when you say amen, all right? I preach better when you say amen. It's an encouragement to me, okay? And so I want to encourage you today with this. If you're believing for someone to come to faith in Jesus Christ, you've been praying for them, You think they're so far lost? You think they're so far gone from the grace and mercy of God? Can I just encourage you, don't lose hope. Don't don't lose hope on that person. Don't don't lose hope and believing in faith that God can reach them because he can and he will. And you can watch him see him work in your life and your family, Amen? amen? The other point I wanna make here is this is why Paul is a credible witness that we should listen to. He's a credible witness because for someone to go from murdering and killing Christians and being the ringleader to then radically converting to Christ through a revelation on the road to Damascus and then begins to preach and teach God's word, he's somebody that you and I should pay attention to. And if you learn more about Paul, what you'll realize is not only was he a person that would go on missionary journeys and teach and preach, he was a person that went through tons of grief and suffering for his faith in Christ. Just read this here in um, 2 Corinthians 11. I don't have it on the screen. These are the things that Paul went through as he goes on his missionary journeys, three in all, planting churches, raising up leaders, and Colossians is one of those churches. Okay, listen to what he's been through. But whatever they dare to boast about, I'm talking like a fool again, I dare to boast about it too. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I've served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and have faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three t- not that kind of stoned, okay, with rocks, okay? Uh, three times I was stoned, or once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea, I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who came to be believers but are not. I have worked long and hard and during many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. This is Paul's pedigree. If anybody deserves our attention and is a credible witness as to why we should listen to someone like him, it's Paul. 
I'll, I'll go ahead and puff them up even more. He wrote two-thirds of our New Testament, 13 books. There's controversy as to whether or not he wrote Hebrews, but if we count that, that's 14. And if you read all of half of Acts, all it's about is Paul's missionary journeys. So he wrote most of our New Testament. Besides Christ, obviously as our Savior and Lord, the most influential, most prominent, most powerful man in all of the Mediterranean and Macedonian, the person that deserves our attention, the person that has done more for Christianity, the person really, honestly, if we think about it history-wise, the reason why we sit here today and can hear the message of Christ and own a Bible and learn about Jesus is because of the apostle Paul. He deserves our attention in the most powerful way. Where was Paul when he wrote this letter? He wrote the letter to the church of Colossae from prison. Now, it's not 2018 prison, first century prison. Awful, horrible conditions, barely any food or water or seeing the light of day, terrible conditions. And he wrote many letters from prison. And here's what he would do. He would help plant churches all over Asia Minor and Macedonian, and with the church at Colossae, okay, he's not the pastor of this church. We're going to meet the pastor of this church here in a few minutes, okay? He is a leader of churches helping plant churches. Now, in the part that we read, it says, Paul the apostle of Christ Jesus, okay? Paul was an apostle. There are two types of apostles in scripture, okay? One of them is the office of apostleship, and one of them is the gift of apostleship, and I want to explain both. The office of apostleship, and I have it in my notes here, I want to read this, was the gift that continues in a different sense. Jesus gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers at his ascension, and they represent a distinct category of apostles. They do not have authority to write scripture as the original apostles did. I talked about earlier, we don't add to the scriptures anymore. They also have a different purpose in a sense of establishing the church. So the office of apostle has died and is no longer there. The apostles were the first disciples of, of Christ when he came. But then there is the gift of being an apostle. The gift of being an apostle is a person who is into planting new ministries and churches, goes into places where the gospel is not preached, reaches across cultures to establish churches in challenging environments, raises up and develop leaders, calls out and leads pastors and shepherds, and much more. They often have many different gifts that allow them to fulfill their ministry. These are leaders of leaders and ministers of ministers. They are influencers. They are typically entrepreneur and are able to take risk and perform difficult tasks. Missionaries, church planters, certain Christian scholars and institutional leaders, and those leading multiple ministries or churches often have the gift of apostleship. And this is what Paul was. Paul wrote scripture because he had that gift given to him by Christ, but he was also apostle with this gift, helping plant and lead churches and raising up leaders. Now, where was Colossae? It was near the Mediterranean Sea. In Colossians, here's what was happening. Paul's having to address issues that are happening within the four chapters of the church. Okay, he's having to address false teaching. False beliefs have, sept, have seeped into the church, excuse me, and Paul's having to address them. In our culture today, we say things like, follow your heart. It will never lead you astray. And although that sounds good, it's not true. 
We also say things like, be a good person. If you, have good, if you do good things, good things will happen to you. That's karma. And that sounds really nice. It's actually not true. If you do good, it doesn't mean good is always going to come back to you. That's not a biblical viewpoint that scripture holds. My favorite one in church world, we say things like, don't worry. When God closes the door, he will open a window. Sounds really cute. It's also not true. Okay? So in today, those are just some kind of, you know, fun little false beliefs. In Paul's day, he was dealing with the wide range of false beliefs, wide ranges of issues that were seeping into the church, and he wrote the letter to combat these false teachings. The primary reason Paul writes Colossians is because of Epaphras. Epaphras is in prison with Paul in Rome, and he's telling him about things that are happening in his church and these different false beliefs that are happening. Now, we'll talk about Epaphras here in a minute, but for those of you who are the brainy type people in the room, if you want to know all the false teachings and all the heresy that Paul was dealing with in the book of Colossians, for all the nerds, which includes me, I have a handout for you at the table in the lobby, okay? Breaks down every false teaching and heresy, Paul's rebuttal, and why. And you can grab that on the way out today because I can't go into every single one of his false teachings. But Paul was dealing with a variety of different things. First of all, he was fighting against Gnosticism. This was the belief that matter is evil and that the spirit is good. It was a way to puff yourself up with knowledge, believing that knowledge could somehow save you from evil spirits. Paul had to write against that in the book of Colossians. He also deals with asceticism. It's a severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence. This was like the kind of person you meet today when you're talking to them and you go, oh man, let's go out to lunch, let's have a bite to eat. And they say something like, yeah, man, I'd, I'd love to go out to eat with you, but um, I'm, I'm fasting, right? This is the person who takes spiritual disciplines that are meant to draw us closer to Christ and begins to puff them up and brag about them in order to feel good about themselves. Paul was having to deal with this type of asceticism, this belief that if you practice more self-discipline and you, you know, completely removed every type of, you know, bad habit or thing in your life, that somehow God would love you more. Paul was having to deal with that. He's also having to deal with the false teachings of Jewish rule, that if you obey certain festivals and certain rules and certain commands and certain ideologies from the Jewish nation, if you follow all those things, then God will accept you and love you. And yet Paul, as we know, as Christ came and the cross, he died on a cross, that veil was torn in two, the old covenant was gone, and the new covenant now we live in today, and Paul is having to fight against that these false teachings. The pastor of Colossians. Okay, we're gonna meet Epaphras in the letter. Okay, Paul is in prison when he wrote this letter, but the unique thing about the letter is that Paul never got to visit this church. Okay, he never got to visit the people. He never got to meet the people in this community, but he helped plant this church. The pastor of this church is a guy by the name of Epaphras. We read about this in Acts towards the end. Probably this is what happened. Epaphras was somewhere with Paul when Paul was preaching and communicating about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Epaphras receives Christ, becomes a part of the way, the early name for Christianity. 
He goes back to his hometown in Colossae and begins to help start a church. And so Epaphras is the person that is the pastor of this church. Paul never gets to be a part of this church. He never gets to visit this church. Now, this is the power of what we would call multiplication. And the same thing is happening here in this church today. You see, my good friend, Pastor Nick, at Grove Marysville, someone I've known for almost two decades, has invested in my life ever since I was about 13 years old. He first was my youth pastor, beat me into shape, taught me what it, taught, showed me what it meant to be a man and a godly man, Okay, then I became his youth pastor at Grove Marysville. Then I became his associate pastor at Grove Marysville. And then by God's grace, through some providential things that happened with our church, Pastor Nick and Heather then sent Amanda and I out to lead and guide this church. And we get to become the pastors of this church. But it's actually way deeper than that. When I was eight years old, my mom and my dad... I was born in California. My mom and my dad had a call of God on their life. They went to a warm beach camp, a family camp, knew nobody at this camp. God spoke to them and said, hey, you need to plant a church in Marysville, Washington. We knew nobody in Marysville. We had no connections to Marysville. All of my relatives and family still live and reside in Southern California. Yet my mom and my dad believed in a vision that they could plant a church and come move our family to the Northwest to start a church with me and my brothers. Had a church in our home. And what's cool about it is my parents are the first church planters in my family because they left everything that they knew to come up to the Northwest to plant a church. And so me and my family actually stand on the parents of both my mom and my dad because of them sending us out and raising us as boys to be godly men. Now, it's pretty special for me today to talk about my parents in part because yesterday was 11 years that my dad passed away. October 13th, 11 years ago, my dad passed away. And obviously, the first year, it's super difficult to lose a parent, whereas 11 years goes by, time does begin to heal your heart and you begin to become more accustomed to the new normal of not having your dad around. But I'm so grateful, and excuse me if I get a little bit emotional, I'm so grateful that both my mom and my dad believed in Jesus and his message so much that they would sacrifice everything they knew to move to the Northwest, one of the hardest places to reach people, to plant a church, to invest in our lives, and to show us what it meant to live for Jesus. And so it's deeper than that because I stand on their shoulders. I stand on Pastor Nick and Heather's shoulders. And lastly, you may not know this history, but this church was actually in Redmond. It was Venture Church. Pastor Jesse and Sandra, two and a half years ago, actually planted this church in Redmond, moved from Missouri to Redmond, planted a church, believed in a vision, recruited and poured into people that are sitting in this room. And by God's grace, we actually also stand on their shoulders and are spreading the message of Christ because of what they have done. See, it's the power of multiplication, but it goes even deeper than this. There's actually people in this room, by God's power and Holy Spirit, as I'm talking about this message, that God's putting in your heart, that I don't know about, but God knows, God's putting in your heart that maybe someday you're going to plant a church. 
Someday you're going to be a part of a church plant. Someday you're going to go out and may have to leave your home, your family, or maybe you get to do it with your family. I don't know what God's calling you to do, but I'll tell you there's people in this room who believe that God is calling them to lead and plant a church so that the message of Christ can continue to be preached and that many people can be saved. My buddy Andrew right here, Klesik, and his wife Abby are one of those people. Eventually, at some point, by God's grace and his providential hand, I believe that this couple here will stand on our shoulders and be sent out to plant a different church to make the name of Jesus famous, to spread the gospel and his love and his grace, because it's the power of raising up leaders and the power of multiplication. This is what's happening in the book of Colossians. Epaphras, mentored by Paul, now has started his church and he's going back to Paul and he's telling him, hey, there's some stuff going on in my church that I need you to speak into as my mentor. I need you to write this letter and deal with these false teachings and issues that are going on in my church. Lastly, as we wrap up this message today, I'm going to give you four takeaways as to why does this matter to us today? Because I know some of you are just like, you know, it's a lot of information and you can tell how excited I am about it. But why does this matter to us today? Number one, the Bible says you will know the truth and the truth will what? It will set you free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You must take on the personal responsibility of understanding and reading God's word. Nobody can do this for you. In fact, if I'm being honest with you, how do you even know that what I'm saying is even true? Unless you've studied this and you know what I'm saying, don't just believe every word that's coming out of my mouth. Now, of course, I have integrity, I'm doing my very best, but you have responsibility, a personal responsibility to know the word of God, to study the word of God, to read the word of God. And I know it's not popular. I know it's so much easier to be on Facebook. I know it's so much easier to binge watch something on Netflix, but I want to encourage you today that taking in the word of God on a daily basis matters greatly. I want to offer you two resources when it comes to reading the Word of God. First of all, I normally don't preach with this big of a Bible, but this is what we call an ESV study Bible. Okay, I'm just going to encourage you to buy this Bible. $30 on Amazon, the best $30 you can ever buy, okay? And no, I don't work for this publisher, okay? $30 on Amazon. It's a study Bible, okay? It's chalk thick, as you can see. And what's cool about it is when you go to the book of Colossians and you turn there, it gives you footnotes down below. There's a verse you read and then down below, you learn more about that verse. There's maps, there's history, there's background, there's themes. Own a study Bible. Own the ESV study Bible. It's a great Bible to learn the scriptures, to begin to understand why things were written and begin to study it. I grew up in church where they always told me to study the Bible, but they never gave me a resource. ESV Study Bible is a great one. Another one that I've used for years now is a guy by the name of N.T. Wright. Okay, he's a theologian, comes out of Europe, N.T. Wright. All right? He wrote these awesome little books. They're like $5 on Amazon. Matthew for everyone. Mark for everyone. John for everyone. 1 Corinthians for everyone. They're, they're this, just the small little books. And they're just little commentaries, very practical commentaries. So when if you're reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you open up his little commentary and he gives you a little bit of background, really easy read. 
Amazon, N.T. Wright. He has some other great, great thoughts as well and some good books. But you need to take on the personal responsibility of knowing the scriptures and reading the scriptures. Number two, we live in a culture today, and I was talking about this with a friend this week. We live in a culture today where the prophet Isaiah said this years ago. This is the culture we live in today that we call good, evil, and evil good. That is, the, that is the world that we live in today. We live into this world where people are calling evil good and good evil. And Isaiah says, woe to them. It is so important in our world today that you and I understand truth and you and I take time to know why we believe what we believe. Because in Paul's day, it was asceticism and Gnosticism and Jewish law. In our today, it's different, but there is always a threat against Christianity and there's always something that's to be said for knowing the truth and standing on that truth. So you and I should be people that know why we believe what we believe, understand what we believe what we believe, and be able to defend that faith if someone were to ask. It's a personal responsibility that we should take as Christ followers. Number three here, it's not Jesus and. It's not Jesus and the, the, the cultural norms of today. It's Jesus and nothing but Jesus. And it's always been about Jesus and it will continue to be about Jesus. It's not Jesus and. We gather here today as Christ followers, as the church, because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And in the coming weeks, you will see how powerful and how awesome and how mighty Paul writes about Jesus because he wants them to understand in their day, and I want you to understand in our day, that it's not Jesus and Jesus is far more enough than what you and I will ever need in this life. And we need to be reminded of that today, that it's Jesus and only Jesus and nothing but Jesus and Jesus and Jesus and Jesus. Can I hear an amen? That's why we're here today. So it's about him and who he is in our lives. Lastly, I want to close with how I opened here and worship team's going to come up here. I'm, I'm running out of time. The most important thing about you is what you think about Jesus Christ. It's the most important thing about you. What you believe about Jesus, what you believe he is, what you believe why he came, what you believe about his teachings, what you believe about his message, it's the most important thing about you. Yes, it's important to have great jobs. Yes, it's important to get married and have families. But the most important thing about you is what you believe about Jesus. I want to read this quote from C.S. Lewis and then we'll pray together today. He's talking about Jesus. Another great read if you like the deeper stuff, mere Christianity. He writes in mere Christianity, this is so powerful, about Jesus, and I wanna, I wanna close this with this today. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, speaking of Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. 
really want you to catch this today. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come to any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Let me pray for you today. God, I thank you that the Bible is not old-fashioned and unrelatable. The Bible is not for yesterday or for our grandparents. The Bible is for us today. The Bible is alive and living and active today. Timothy tells us it's to bring correction and rebuking and teaching and godliness. And I pray that every person in here, more than anything, they would leave and go, man, that guy is passionate about God's word. And yes, I am. I am passionate that our people know truth because it'll set them free. I'm passionate that our children know these Bible lessons because it's gonna set them free. I'm passionate, God, that we can look at the book of Colossians in the next five weeks and go, wow, what a rich book. Wow, how good it is to take in the word of God daily. Wow, God, I wanna know your word. I wanna know your voice. I wanna know your leading. And so I thank you in advance right now, God, as a church, we're committing to today. I'm going to read Colossians three times this week. You know what? For good credit, I'm going to read it four times. I thank you, God, that we can be passionate about your word. And I thank you, God, that we stand here today ultimately on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, who is the head of this church. And we thank you for it in your good name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.